versus Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation. Mr. Olson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Kansas imposes a tax on the distributors of motor fuel. The legal incidence of that tax is explicitly, by statute, imposed on the distributor of the first receipt of the fuel. The tax is thus imposed and collected off-reservation from non-Indians. The who, when, and where of the tax is all off-reservation and non-Indian. Mr. Mr. Olson, may I ask you to to go one step beyond that on on an issue of fact that I just don't understand from reading the briefs? Let me give you three quick quotations. First, the Court of Appeals' opinion uh, contains this statement. Uh, An expert on behalf of the tribe reported that basic economic theory teaches that the nation station cannot charge prices high enough to allow collection of both the Kansas and the nation's fuel taxes. The red brief says uh, on on page 8, it is undisputed that enforcing the state tax on fuel sold and delivered to the station would effectively nullify the tribal fuel tax. Finally, the yellow brief uh, on page 13 says, by selling its fuel at market prices, respondent, the tribe, is making both a profit and collecting a tax. My question is, do we know from the record whether the tax that is assessed on the distributor is in fact passed through to the tribe so that in economic effect the tribe is collecting via pass-through the state tax and imposing its own tax and still selling at market prices? I had, I had the same question, Justice Souter, as I was looking at this yesterday, and I investigated it. And as my understanding, but I did not find this completely in the record, that the distributor is indeed paying the tax um, and that the tribe is also collecting a tax. Now, I don't quite understand how you reconcile those two points that you just raised. If it's if — it's, um, something that is economically not possible, how, can it, how is it that it's being done, uh, despite the fact that the, the 10th Circuit uh, held the tax uh, impermissible? It's my understanding that the distributor is still paying the tax. Now, make it up on volume, I think. <laughs> maybe they make it up on volume. Maybe people that are at the casino are willing to pay more. The tax — there is a differential between the amount of the state tax and the tribe tax. It's only a couple of cents, as I understand it. But I think the But if, it, if I may interrupt you, if it's getting passed through and they're still selling their gas, uh, then there's no — then the tribe cannot make an argument here that their, their sovereign taxing authority is being compromised or threatened. And the argument basically would boil down uh, to the argument that they want to make a bigger profit. Well, I agree with that. And the, I, I, I also would point out — Or want to impose a higher tax. Pardon me? Or want to impose a higher yeah. tax. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and what I think that what, what, what this boils down to, and I'm skipping ahead of myself, is that the tribe would like to be able to market um, a product without having to pay the burdens of taxation all the way upstream. There are taxes on the distributor's property. There's taxes that are imposed when the fuel comes out of the ground and at the refinery stage. So the tribe would like to market a product unburdened by any upstream um, taxation, the cost of doing business. But aren't they going to tell us that there's a a practical matter, that the tax is really being collected for the retailers? It's just being passed on to the retailers but paid by the distributor. I I take it the distributor, the way this works, I, I, I again had problems with the fact. I take it the distributor sends out a truck, and if he sends out the truck to the tribe, um, then uh, the, the distributor just pays the tax, and the tribe would want that uh, tax, to be, that, that fuel to be distributed less the cost of the tax. Yes. If the tribe's view prevails, then the distributor still sends the truck to the uh, stations that are in the state and passes on the tax for those it's, it's only. I take it that's It's my understanding, and this is explained, <laughs> the, the details of this are explained in Section 
3410. I can't give you a citation to the record, but the statutes I'm presuming are available. Uh, that the distributor pays a, pays a tax as a result of taking the fuel down from what they call the rack and then taking it to various service stations. Well, what, what event triggers, uh, if you will, uh, the incidence of the tax on the distributor. <laughs> is it is it the uh, obligation, is it the minute the fuel is brought into Kansas? Is it when it is delivered to the distributor? It's, or is it later? The, the statute explicitly says, Justice O'Connor, and this is on page 2 mm-hmm. of the petition, mm-hmm. um, the incidence of this tax is imposed on the distributor of the first receipt of the motor fuel. And then section, that's section 3408, parentheses C. Section 3410 then describes in a little bit more detail the physical operation of the reports that the distributor has to make and the distributor has to pay the tax. So the distributor gets the fuel and incurs the obligation at that point, whether or not it's resold. That's correct. Um, but doesn't incur it or get the credit or gets it back if it sells to the United States or if it sells out of state. In other words, it's not just the receipt. It's, Justice Ginsburg, it is the receipt that triggers the liability for the tax. There is a, an exemption that, that may be taken in connection with sales to the United States, and that's a part of a massive quid pro quo operation for fuel sold to the United States. The United States pays the state back. Um, substantially all of the tax that an out of state or an out of, an out of state um, there's a deduction for uh, fuel told sold out of state um, that's logical because the purpose for the tax is to pay for the roads in Kansas and it's and that's that's the problem right there because I, I thought first there's a tax you get a credit if you don't sell the fuel to anybody so I don't think it's quite, if you just sit there with it. I don't. Maybe not. I, I think I would disagree with you, Justice you Breyer. I right. think it's my understanding that if you sat on that fuel for the next you'd year, you'd tax. still have to pay okay. the tax. Now, That's my understanding. Right. You know, with respect to the out-of-state distribution, yes. that's because right. that fuel is not going to be used on Kansas always presumably. You are Kansas. You sell, the retailer in Kansas sells it to Nebraska. Nebraska is, in a sense, a foreign and independent state. And I guess at some level the tribes are arguing, well, you sell to us, our local retailer. We, too, are a foreign and independent state, even more so. So if you're going to treat them this way, give the people in Nebraska a credit or they don't have to pay, why don't you treat us that way? We drive on Kansas roads sometimes. So do the Nebraskans. Well, sometimes. sometimes. The vast ma- So they say get into interest balancing. Well, now, what, now you have the whole argument that I'm thinking of. What do you respond? Well, one of my responses is that the tribe is located entirely within the state. The record is clear that most of the fuel purchased at that station is used on the highways paid for by Kansas. Uh, an overwhelming majority of the fuel is not used on a reservation road. It's used on the highways of the state of Kansas to get to the casino or to leave the casino. The road that's at issue in this case is 1.5 miles long. Uh, the rest of the driving, according to the record, is on the highways of Kansas. So there's a clear difference there when you sell um, when distributors market fuel in Nebraska. Wilson, would it make any difference if all of the driving was inside the reservation? Would it make any no, difference? No, we would, we would argue that it would not make any difference, Justice Stevens, because this is a tax on distributors. It is the uh, legislature of Kansas follow the specific advice of this court in its unanimous opinion in the Chickasaw Nation that if there is an issue with respect to the tax being imposed on a, uh, arguably uh, burdening the tribe, the state can change the legal incidence of the tax. That's uh, that, ex- that has been um, much discussed in the briefs, and I think that the court in, in Chickasaw was saying if the state puts the incidence on the tribe itself, we don't have to look any further. 
That's what it said. When the state levies a tax directly on the tribe or members inside the reservation, no balancing. But then it also said that if the incident rests on non-Indians, as here, as the distributor here, then there is no categorical bar, then balancing kicks in. So all Chickasaw dealt with with the categorical rule is when the state says the incidence of the tax is on the tribe. That's correct, Justice Ginsburg. But the answer is that that this is uh, an entirely off-reservation tax on non-Indians. We submit that there's no balancing necessary in this case unless you're going to involve and require states to to submit to litigation and engage in balancing every time an off-reservation tax on non-Indians has some downstream economic effect. What about the tax on the car that brings the casino patron to the reservation? What about the tax on the cigarettes or the alcohol or the gambling machinery? Well, Mr. Olson, the Solicitor General tells us that here we have, you have the statute, but they have the call case that suggests that this tax is imposed on the reservation. What the call case, in the context of deciding whether other retailers there had standing, basically said that there was an economic impact that affected the retailers. The call case specifically referred, Mr. Chief Justice, to the fact that the legislature had, and this is on page 67 of the Pacific Second site of the call opinion, the legislature amended the, uh, amended the statute this is at the bottom of the second column, or the first column, to clarify the question where the incidence of taxation falls. The legislature provided that unless otherwise specified, the incidence of the tax falls on the distributor. Then, Mr. Chief Justice, the Court went on uh, to, to evaluate the standing question and allowed the distributors the, to raise the issue because the economic burden did come through the distributors. It's important in that context to note that the ultimate burden of any of these taxes is not falling on the retailer, it's falling on the consumer. It's falling on the consumer of the gasoline. The consumer puts the gasoline in the car, and then the car is driven overwhelmingly, the facts are unquestionable in this case, overwhelmingly on the highways of the state of Kansas. So that the burden, ultimate burden... Again, that would still be true if the incidence of tax was on the uh, retailer rather than the wholesaler. It still would be true. Um, and, but, but the fact is, in this case, you have a off-reservation tax on, on all distributors. Um, Which the statute contemplates will be collected when the uh, gas is sold to the re- uh, by the retailer. It, what, what the statute specifically says, this is Section 3409, uh, it says that the, the distributor may pass on may, it's a permissive provision, may pass on the cost of the taxation as a part of the cost of doing business. And, of course, a distributor does that with respect to the the cost of its vehicles, the cost of other taxes it pays. It it may include those provisions. What a strange provision. I mean, who who would have thought that he couldn't? Why, why, why did they ever put that provision in, unless it means something different from — I think what it means — I understand, Justice Scalia, and, and I, because I had the same reaction. Well, of course he could. Um, why does he need a statute to do that? It is a cost of doing business. I think that provision is a part of the effort to make clear one of the factors that distinguishes this case from the Chickasaw Nation case, where the Court found that it was significant — that the distributor was required to pass on the tax, act as a collection agent for the retailer, and took a 1.5 percent commission. So this court thought that might be significant. Kansas, in part, I think, want to make, wanted to make it very clear that the distri- what, what was happening in the economic chain is costs of production of gasoline, including tax paid by the distributor, could be passed on uh, in the form of cost of business to the, to the retailer. Now, of course, it's cost, it's passed on also, uh, to the consumer. The question- Mr. Olson, what does it mean when they say in the law the incidence of the tax is on the distributor? Does that mean anything other than that he has to pay it? 
It is unclear from this Court's decisions precisely what legal incidence means. At least it was unclear to me as I was looking through the Court's decisions. But I think it's a combination of the liability for the tax, the responsibility to pay the tax, the fact that, in this case, the retailer has no liability for the tax. The only liability for the tax is on the distributor. The The relationship is between the State of Kansas and the distributor. And all of those factors together make it clear to me from this Court's previous decisions that legal incidence is a term of art, especially in the field of taxation. And as the Court pointed out in the Chickasaw Nation case, it's important to have a — Well, I guess the reason for my question is they look back at the Court's decisions and see that it turns on where the incidence of the tax is. And so there's some bright lawyer in Kansas who said all we have to do is pass a law saying the incidence is of the tax is on the distributor and we're going to win. Well — So it suggests that we shouldn't give too much weight to that. Well, the bright lawyer in Kansas who may have done that was the Kansas legislature following the unanimous decision of this Court in Chickasaw Nation saying if you want to avoid the potential problems that would exist, change — and it's not just the incidence of the tax. It's the legal incidence of the tax. It's — of course, the economic burden of taxation is spread out throughout the chain of distribution. The legal incidence of the taxes, I read this Court's opinions, are — is exactly what it is here. The distributor must pay for the tax. The distributor must account for the tax. The distributor is liable and may be penalized if the tax is not paid. Nobody else is liable for it. The distributor has to pay the tax even if it doesn't sell the gasoline. Here, not only the language is as clear as it could be. I mean, the, the, the legislature specifically says it, but the operation of the statute and, and the two — the twice the, the Tenth Circuit considered this, the Tenth Circuit decided the legal incidence of the tax was on the distributor. The two district courts that decided it before those two Tenth Circuit decisions decided that the legal incidence was on the distributor. The facts support that the legal incidence is on the distributor. And respondents, on page 16 of the respondents' brief, it seems to me, acknowledge precisely that. They, in their effort to distinguish the central machinery case, which is the Indian taxation statutes, and, and we're not specifically said there, referring to central machinery, the state tax was imposed on the sale of merchandise. The legal incidence of the tax there as here fell on the non-Indian seller. So the respondents have even said that on page 16 of their own brief. May I go back to one factual nuance on that? Uh, apart from legal incidence, somebody uh, mentioned earlier that the tax would not necessarily be payable uh, until, in fact, the, the, the gasoline was distributed to, to the retailer. Is that correct? That's not my understanding. I may be wrong, but as I read Section 3410, the distributor must um, file monthly reports with the state um, describing the amount of tax that's drawn down at the rack when it takes the uh, um, unloads fuel into its trucks, and it's responsible. <coughs> but isn't, isn't that a surrogate for for sale to the? Well, I, I guess what I'm getting at: the, the tax apparently is not payable when the distributor receives the fuel, but only when the distributor transfers the fuel to a retailer. No, I, no? I, it's not my understanding. The, the, it is not the incidence or the, the occasion for the payment of the tax isn't a sale to a retailer. You'd have, a, I can imagine, the practicalities of that would drive everybody crazy. The distributor. Why would he be drawing it down except to sell? Well, of course, of course, the distributor is drawing it down to sell fuel to gasoline stations. Yeah. It may, there may be some storage involved. There may be other um, uh, occasions. But the fact is that the distributor files a monthly report describing how much uh, fuel is it receives. Mr. Olson, in terms of the text of the statute, the, is the incidence is on the distributor of the first receipt. But then there's this language that it appears in a few places. The tax is hereby imposed on the use, sale, or delivery. What, what, is, what does that mean, that the tax is imposed on the use, sale, uh, or delivery? This is, this is an effort by the le- legislature to say that fuel 
which is going to be used in Kansas, by and large, there's always going to be exceptions, fuel that is used, by and large, in Kansas, on the roads of Kansas, shall be subject to a tax so that those roads can be built and maintained. Now, how shall we um, mechanically impose and collect that tax? We will do it on the first receipt by the distributor. Does so, that mean, Mr. Olson, that the tax that the, the, the fuel rather that's sold to the United States government later out of state, when is the credit for the sales out of state made? Is that made at the time of the initial delivery or is it, do they ask for a refund monthly? I, I don't know the I answer. Tell I don't know the answer to that. It seems to me that might be a way of identifying whether the term legal incidence really has any significance. Well, I would say that, the, that if the, this Court's prior decisions have any consistent meaning, that the person who has an obligation to pay the tax and who might claim some credits or deductions like we all do when we file our tax returns, the legal incidence of the tax is on us as taxpayers. The taxpayer here is the distributor. The statute says so. The way the statute works, uh, it I works sort of take way. legal inc- incidence to mean the duty to pay the tax. And I'm, I'm just wondering whether when fuel is sold to a distributor, that the, I mean, the distributor knows the fuel is going to be resold to the United States. Does he have an exemption from the tax because he knows what's going to happen to it? Or does he have to pay the tax or accept the obligation to pay the tax and then I think subtract it's, later that, on? I think, but I can't represent to you that I know for sure, that that is an accounting process that takes place because these are transactions, thousands of transactions that are taking place all of the time. Kansas also has a practical reason for imposing this tax on the distributors, there are X number of distrib- distributors. You can imagine how many times X there might be retailers and how many different disputes and so forth. The point, one of the points that this Court has repeatedly made in connection with tax cases and inter-sovereign immunity issues with respect to tax cases, it is vitally important that there be certainty, predictability, um, and, and some understanding of, of fixed events with respect to taxation. States can't be engaged in litigation constantly, depending upon how many casino customers were here, how many people bought this gasoline, how many people bought that gasoline the next month, and and how much did the tribe um, charge for the gasoline on its reservation. That kind of balancing process makes no sense whatsoever, and and it sentences the states to litigation and this Court to repeated decisions based upon specific facts. That's why we submit that although the balancing is overwhelmingly in favor of the State because it's a tax for gas that enables someone to drive on roads that the State has to pay for, that in this situation, one balancing test makes little sense. It simply invites litigation. Um, Mr. Olson, you, you mentioned Section 3410. Uh, where, where does that appear? I'm, well, I can't find it. I, I was not able to find it either in, no. in, the, in the briefs. It's, the, the, the Kansas, it's, the, it's in the Kansas statutes, of course, but I couldn't find it set out verbatim in, in, the, um, in the briefs. I suspect it's in there someplace, but I couldn't find it when I was looking. Mr. Olson, can we go back? Excuse me. To the question that Justice Souter raised at the outset, because I'm really puzzled. This is the picture I have of the case, and please tell me where it's wrong. Two jurisdictions, both with authority to impose a tax, the state and the tribe. So if the other weren't taxing, there wouldn't be any question that the the tribe can tax and the state can tax. But the two can't coexist because the consumer is not going to pay the price. So only one can, and the issue is which one dominates and which one is subordinated. But you have unquestioned authority to tax in both, and I thought it was clear that the two taxes, that this is not a case where the tribe can impose this tax, the state can oppose. I read the briefs to accept that the tribe tax couldn't put its tax on top of the state tax. The, the, it's a matter of economics, Justice Ginsburg, just as your question suggests. The tribe would not would like to be able to market tax-free fuel at its non-regulated casino. It would probably would like, if, and if this case is decided against the state, it would probably not like to pay the tax on the, on the car that brings the patron. But not tax-free. I mean, the, a big thing that was made made in this case was that 
unlike the cigarette sales and the smoke shops, the tribe is not trying to market a tax exemption. It is putting on its own tax, which will cost the customer in the end the same as if there'd been a state. Well, it wouldn't have to use a tax to do that. It owns the station. Who is it, it taxing? Is it taxing itself? It's, I it's, mean, it, the, the tribe sells the gas, doesn't it? That's precisely the point, that, that the tribe would probably not like to pay the taxes that are paid by the distributor or the refiner or the person that brings the fuel, um, the, the petroleum product out of the ground. What it, what it simply means is the margin between the cost and the sale. That's what the tribe would like. It's perfectly understandable. But it would like to have that. And, and that tax, and I'd like to save the balance of my time for rebuttal, but that tax is overwhelmingly used on the roads of Kansas, overwhelmingly used on the roads of Kansas, which are paid for, built and maintained by the revenue produced by that taxation. That's what it's for. Thank you, Mr. Olson. Mr. Gershengorn. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, that in the tribe's view, the state's defense of its tax today depends on a tax that does not exist. Two distinct sovereigns have imposed fuel taxes here. The Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation has imposed a tribal tax on a tribal station operating on tribal trust land. Is it collecting that tax? It is, Your Honor. And what's its gripe? It wants a bigger profit? It wants to increase Your Honor, the taxation? The, the record is clear that the two taxes cannot coexist in the long run because it would price the yeah, — But price if, the, if the tribe is collecting its — assuming that, if the right. tribe is collecting its tax and it does not have a claim to — greater taxation or greater profit, then how is its sovereign right as a taxing authority being interfered with? Your Honor, the tribe is being forced right now to subsidize the sales at the station at a loss, which it's doing for the balance of this litigation. Loss of profit the, as, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Your Honor, the tribe, the tribe well, is — I mean, isn't that necessarily the case? If it's collecting all of its tax, then, then what it's complaining about is that it's getting less profit as the, as the retailer. Your Honor, that, that's correct at All the right. moment. And is, is that an, an issue that we should consider uh, on, on a, a, a question of, of present, preemption, which arises from the tribe's assertion of sovereignty? I think it is, Your Honor, because the, the tribe should not be put to the choice as a sovereign, where it's running a tribal business, of choosing between — of generating revenues by the tax versus generating um, revenues by the profit. Well, you, no in other words, should, should we, in effect, say there is no distinction between the tribe's position as sovereign and the tribe's position uh, as retail gasoline seller? Your Honor, I think in that situation, the, 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 the two are very similar in the same way when a state sells at a state liquor well, store. Well, they're similar because it, ultimately it's all going into the same pocket. We realize that. But in, unless there is a claim that its taxing authority as such uh, is being threatened or interfered with, uh, I don't quite see why a preemption theory that rests upon tribal sovereignty has any place in the analysis. Because, Your Honor, the, it is exactly the tribal taxing authority that interfered. It's, a, it's, it's quite a strange form of taxing authority that says you can tax the, um, you can tax the, the station, but then, uh, but then essentially have to operate the station at a loss. But you're not operating at a loss. At all, at all. What's strange about it? I mean, every upstream tax, as Mr. Olson said, raises the price of goods and services. And it's harder to retail them because they cost more. So that's true of every single good sold on the reservation. So I take it your claim must — and, of course, it may or may not be true that the tribe can put a tax on that. It depends upon supply and demand. That is not — But suppose they can't. That is not — Well, my question is, if we hold for you here, and we don't take an absolute principle, well, well, I guess states are forbidden to put any upstream taxes on. Your Honor, Why isn't that so? Because that does not describe the tax that's at issue here. The tax at issue here is imposed on the sale or delivery of fuel to the tribe on the reservation. And that's well, isn't it, but they say no, that it's imposed on the delivery to the distributor and, of fuel. And that, Your, Your Honor, is not correct. What they have done is conflate two concepts. The incidence of the tax well, it's what and the, the statute says. I, I, with respect, Your Honor, I don't think it is what the statute says. The statute says in 3408, a tax per gallon is hereby imposed on the use, sale, or delivery of fuel. It does not say the receipt of fuel. 
The distributor is defined as somebody who receives and uses, sells, or delivers fuel. All of the critical exemptions in the statutes are based on the distributor's subsequent sale or delivery of fuel to the United States, out of state, to federal contract. But that's just and a subsequent deduction. I mean, if we get income, we're taxed on it. If we make a charitable contribution, we get a deduction. But that doesn't mean we don't have to pay and are subject to the income tax. Your Honor, this would be a very different case. If the state had, if the legislature had passed a tax that said this is a tax on receipt, and we were trying to argue that these, uh, that, that somehow these exemptions made it not a tax on receipt. But the legislature has said it is a tax on the use, sale, or delivery. And if I could point to two provisions that I think make this crystal clear, that it is not a tax on receipt, but on the subsequent use, sale, or delivery. The first is 3417, which provides, and that is that 10A in the appendix, Your Honor. That provides that a distributor, after he's received the fuel, if he subsequently loses the fuel, has it lost or burned, gets a refund of the tax if, it's, if that happens before he uses, sells, or delivers. But that works the with other, the income tax, too. You have casualty losses and things like that. It turns out you were subject to the tax, but you don't have to pay it because you get a deduction. But that doesn't mean you're not subject to it in the first place. Your Honor, there, are, there is literally nothing in the statute except for the incidence provision, which is what the State relies on, that makes this attacks on receipt. And if I could, in central We ought to know because they've been — hadn't they had this for a while? So there must be a dealer somewhere who's not on the reservation. He's a distributor. Somebody delivered to him a 1,000 gallons, and it's sitting there in his tank. Does he have to pay the tax or doesn't he? Your Honor, I don't — I think that, you, that he would pay the tax in that instance. Well, if he but would I don't pay the tax, then it is not I don't on think his so, Your Honor, redistribution. I don't think he so, Your Honor. On, Sorry. If — I'd like to ask the question. I'm sorry, Your Honor. If, and you can say why this is wrong, if he gets a thousand gallons from whoever, Exxon or somebody, and he puts it in the tank, and he hasn't sold it, and he has to pay the tax, then it would seem to me to be a sale on the distribution to him, not the sale on his distribution to somebody else. Now, why is that wrong? Because uh, two reasons, Your Honor. In the real world, what happens is the distributor picks up the fuel at the rack and delivers it to the retailer. If the, di- if the distributor takes the fuel and holds it, he's not a distributor under the statute. A distributor is somebody who receives and uses, sells, or delivers. That's in, um, on page 2A of the red brief, Your Honor. So now so you're that- telling me something different from what I understood. I thought you said it probably has happened in the history of this tax. I, I, I- the distributor picked up a gallon of fuel, held it, and has not yet redistributed it. So you're saying that's never happened? Your Honor, I'm not aware of that happening. Um, but what I would say, the, the point I would I'm like certain to certain about what the tax is on, what should we do, dismiss the case or send it to the ask a question or what? Your Honor, I think that this Court can decide this question based on what the face of the statute it is, it, it itself I, says. I think, we no dis- court. I, I think we can decide it on the basis that we know that when the distributor puts, delivers gas to the gas station, it's not instantly sold. I mean, even we know that. No, Your Honor. Th- that's correct, Your Honor. But the, the, the statute provides that the tax is on the sale by the distributor to the tribe on its reservation. It is exactly like what happened in Central Machinery. In Central Machinery, the incidence of the tax was indisputably on the off-reservation seller. This Court nevertheless said correctly that the taxable event, the thing that was being taxed, was the sale of tractors to the tribe on the reservation. Well, the, was statute therefore says, the statute says it's a tax on the sale, but then it goes on and says it's the first sale, and the first sale is to the distributor, and that's why the incidence of the tax is on him. With respect, Your Honor, what Part C says, which is what, what, what you're reading from, it says the incidence of the tax is imposed on the distributor of first receipt. That is the who. That is not the what. The what is in, is in 793408A, and it is clearly imposed on the use, sale, or delivery of the fuel. If I could, another provision of the statute. But that nobody, but it's not sold. It's not taxed twice. If it's sold to a distributor, that distributor has to pay the tax. The distributor then sells it to someone else. That someone else doesn't have to pay the tax. That's right, Your Honor. But the question is, what exactly is the state purporting to tax? This is a situation in which the state is not being unambiguous, is being unambiguous about what it's taxing. What if, it's, what, perhaps the, the state uh, expresses it that way just, just to cover uh, uh, some people who uh, get their gas uh, illegally 
and and they would say the tax is still due, even if you haven't gotten your gas from a distributor who has paid the state tax. Wouldn't that suffice for uh, why the court imposes the tax on the use, sale, or delivery? Use, sale, or delivery. Your Honor, I think the, the term use is the distributor's use. The scheme that Kansas has set up is a sensible one. It is the distributor gets the tax and then has three choices. It can use it, sell it, or deliver it. And if the distributor, uh, if the distributor is, hasn't done one of those things, then it's, then it, um, then, then the distributor can be made liable for any tax increases that have, that happen while the distributor is holding the tax. And so it, it, in our view, and in and every court that we're aware of, the Tenth Circuit didn't decide this case on the assumption that this was a tax on receipt of fuel off the reservation. What the Tenth Circuit said was that Kansas is now attempting to collect its tax for the first time, a tax on motor fuel distributed to Indian lands. It is, again, the same thing All that right, this suppose you're right. Can you answer my first question, if you can remember it? I'll, I'll, I'll summarize. On, on, your, on your assumption, Look, the Indians, uh, uh, if there is a tax, they, they have a retail shop or they have things on the reservation, they go buy them. The Kansas can't impose a tax on what goes on on the reservation. We go through the balance. But they certainly could impose a tax on a department store in Kansas City, couldn't they? That's right. And, and so uh, the, the Indian <coughs> then uh, goes to the department store and buys it. He has to pay the tax, doesn't he? Yes. Okay. Now what he does, he says, call up, and he says, please deliver it. Now he doesn't have to pay the tax? Your Honor, the answer is that's correct, and that's exactly what happens in the Commerce Clause when a a person from Virginia buys something from Illinois and has it delivered to himself in Virginia. They don't pay the sales tax. Is the Commerce constitutionally? No, Your Honor. I'm under uh, interstate sales tax. All right. Well, I will now talk about federal rules. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was, it's the same situation there. The question is, where does the relevant sale take place? And it takes place in, in, um, in the Virginia-Illinois situation. The sale takes place in Virginia, which is why you don't pay Illinois sales tax. So you may pay Virginia use tax. It would be the same thing in the tribal situation. The, tri- the, the sale in that place, just like the sale in Central Machinery, takes place on the reservation. And what this Court said in Central Machinery is that a sale to a tribe of goods on the reservation is, is, cannot be taxed by the state. And indeed, because this tax is on the sale on the reservation, the broader balancing principles apply. The tribe here has imposed the, its tax on a tribal station, on a tribal land, right where this Court has said its tribal taxing authority is strongest, and has dedicated those revenues to improving the miles of dirt and gravel road on the reservation. Well, is, is, it, is it relevant the, to the balance? ask you a question test? about the, uh, the federal exemption. In your view, is that made available at the time of the initial purchase by the distributor, or does he have to, in effect, claim a credit later on? It, the way it works in practice, Your Honor, is, and the form is in the back of the red brief, is that the distributor writes down the number of gallons received and writes down the number of gallons sold to the United States, nets that out, and pays the tax on the net, so that it's, uh, it's essentially done at the, at the same time. And again, so that he, his, his obligation to sell the gas is, is, uh, uh, arises at the same time as, as his purchase? I'm not sure his obligation to do so, but the form is due on the 25th of the month of the next month. And so... And it shows both what they resell to the United States and what they acquire. Correct, Your Honor. It shows gallons received, gallons exported, gallons sold to the United States. Let me ask you this question, too, on that subject. Do you think that the exemption that the state allows for resales to the United States is constitutionally compelled? Your Honor, I think the answer to that is yes under our theory of the case, but no under their theory of the case. The exemption to the United States it's is constitutionally — no under our, our precedents, I think, isn't it? I'm sorry? It's no under our precedents. Well, it depends, Your Honor, on whether the legal instance is on the United States or, or whether the instance is on the seller. Under well, this on, court's that, on the legal incidence of the tax, we suggested in the Chickasaw Nation case that a tax statute's own declaration of the legal incidence would be dispositive. So why don't we read this statute and say the incidence is on the distributor, and that's the end of it. Because, Your Honor, I don't think that's what this Court's cases say. I think what this well, Court's cases that's say — I what we suggested in Chickasaw Nation. I think Chickasaw we, said when the tax was imposed on the tribe, we would take the t- state at its word. It said its tax to the tribe. 
if the state put the tax on a non-Indian, then they would be balancing. And that's what Chickasaw. That's my understanding as well. And that this Court has always held it's a federal question where legal incidence lies and has not deferred, has, has right, given so some. So if balancing, if I, then how do you come out? Because what they're saying is, okay, balance. Fine. You want to balance? Here's how you balance. Your Honor. On the one hand, the Indians uh, have to pay the tax. Okay. That's true. Uh, and it's harder for them to impose their own tax. That's true of every upstream tax. And it goes for roads that they use all the time, and they just have a one-and-a-half-mile. Uh, and why shouldn't they be treated everywhere like everybody else when uh, they're going to use the roads the tax pays for? So the balancing works in their favor. Now, what's your response? That the, your, your Honor, we disagree with that at every level. This, the tribal tax is addressed to a specific road, uh, road problem that the federal government has identified and addressed in the reservation road program. The reservation roads are in abysmal shape, as the federal government has recognized. More than 70 percent are in poor shape, poor condition. The fatality rate is four times the national average. And the tribe is using those revenues to fix, advance that particular federal interest, which is reflected in federal statutes and, um, and in the federal regulatory scheme. The why should, why should all of that make, make a difference? You make a big point in the brief. Well, you're not marketing the exemption. Uh, you're taxing. You're using it for if the If the tribe does have the sovereign right to tax or not to tax, why can't it use it not to tax at all? And say, we're giving, why is there a presumption in favor of imposing taxes? Why can't the tribe say, we're not going to tax you if you come to the reservation. Come on in and buy our gas. No tax. This why, court, why, is that, why is that part of the tribal sovereign right? Because this court has held in Colville, and we don't dispute here, that when the tribe is marketing an exemption, it has no, it has no, there are no federal and tribal interests implicated, and we're not challenging that here. What this court has said is that when a tribe is generating real value on the reservation, so that it has created a market as this tribe has, to draw people onto the reservation and can sell its fuel at market value, it has a sovereign right and interest in taxing that few, in, in, in imposing a tax that the state can't interfere with. And the state here has accommodated. Who is, who is the tribe taxing? Is the tribe tax the purchaser of the gas? Is that? It, no, is it that? taxes the retailer. It taxes the retailer, Your Honor. I thought the retailer was the tribe. It is. It taxes the tribal station. So it's taxing itself. It is, Your Honor, but That's that tax is I, — I never heard of that before. Your Honor, actually, it happens all the time. Pennsylvania imposes a tax on state-sold liquor. North Carolina does it. All the state-run liquor stores are subject to a state-imposed tax. Counsel, and did I understand your earlier discussion about the department store to suggest that if the tribe had the tanker truck and they picked up the fuel and then brought it back, that in that case you'd have no objection to the tax, even though the economic incidence and effect is going to be the same? Your Honor, at that point, central machinery wouldn't apply. I think that would be a closer case for the balancing in, in that situation. There, um, so we wouldn't, we wouldn't concede that. But in this case, it's much stronger because the tax is on the reservation. If I could also just point to one thing that Justice Breyer raised about um, the, about the exemptions for other states. What this, what, what uh, Kansas has done is provide an exemption for every other sovereign that's implicated, for other states, for other countries, for, um, uh, for, but for the United States. is it constitutionally states. compelled to do so? It's, it, it is, Your Honor, in this sense. It, for, it, it comes in in two, two situations. First, it is um, the, the Constitution and the Federal Preemption Doctrine prohibit discrimination. Um, and so it is in that sense. But it also goes to the strength of the state interest here. The state has not only com- has, uh, accommodated the out-of-state interest, it has also accommodated the in-state government interests other than the tribe. It gives 30 to 40 percent of the fuel revenues to counties and two cities for roads. Every other sovereign is accommodated here except for the tribe. And we think that's exactly what federal law prohibits and why the strength of the tribal interest here and the tribe's interest in imposing the tax to fix reservation roads to advance that federal interest is exactly what deserves protection. These counties aren't sovereign. Your claim wouldn't disappear if they decided to tax all these other sovereigns. I'm sorry, Your Honor? Your claim as a tribe would not disappear if they decided to to become non-discriminatory and tax it. All of the sales. Your Honor, it wouldn't disappear, but it, it might alter the uh, — it, it would alter the balance. If the — what is, is troubling here is that the State has asserted a right in predictability. But the State's right in predictability 
is, is only coming at the expense of a refusal to accommodate the tribal interests in the same way it accommodates every other sovereign. And so we do think that that goes to the strength of the state's interest here and to the state, the strength of the, uh, of, of the state's, um, assertion of its tax. I, th- I thought your, view, your argument it, really was that it was, it was indicative of discrimination. I think I, mean, I thought that was the stronger argument because the, you're, you're saying, look, the state has only the most trivial uh, interest in the amount of taxation it would get here. That would be equally true whether it forgives taxes that go, on fuel that goes to the United States or not. But the discrimination point, if it's a fair one, would be the same. Your Honor, I think that's correct, and we've made both arguments it that would, it's a that the discrimination is a freestanding. Um, reason that even under an express preemption test like the state has articulated, we would prevail. And that it all, all the other sovereigns you mention do not consume the gas or the, the, the gas sold to them is not consumed primarily on the roads of this state, except for cities and counties, which aren't sovereigns. I mean, uh, they simply aren't sovereign. That's the state itself. They're subdivisions of the state. So it's making exemptions for its own, its own state plus exemptions for sovereigns where the gas sold to those sovereigns probably will not be used primarily on the, on the roads of this state. Your Honor, it there is — perfect sense. I, I don't know if there's any discrimination. Mr. Chief Justice, thank you. Thank you, Counsel. <clears throat> Mr. Needler. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The tribe here has imposed uh, a tribal tax on sales at a tribal business on the tribe's own reservation on tribal land. The exercise of that power of taxation is at the core of tribal sovereignty, as this Court has long recognized, and that power — Is it being interfered with? Yes. And uh, as to that question, I would uh, point the Court to page 142 of the Joint Appendix or page 12 of the, of the petition appendix, uh, in which uh, the Court discusses the expert opinion that the tribe uh, introduced into the record. Well, that, uh, that expert op- opinion is that as, as an economic matter, you can't collect both. Yes, he said. impose both. Uh, but the tribe is still imposing its tax, and it's getting every penny that it, Im- uh, that it purports to, to, uh, to impose. But it is operating at a loss, as I understand it. The tribe has chosen to subsidize is, is, out of is that in the revenues. That, that is my understanding of what's happening. That's not in the record. What is in but the record? Let's assume, let's assume that is true. Uh, what difference does that make uh, to an analysis uh, uh, based on a preemption theory which is supposed to take account of tribal sovereignty? The Sovereign Act is not selling gas. It's taxing. They are taxing. They're getting everything they want under their tax statute. Uh, where, where then is, is there a, a basis for a preemption argument? I, I think, uh, for example, in this Court's decision in Colville, where the Court uh, — stressed there that the Court was marketing an exemption from state taxation. That portion of the analysis of the Court there did not turn on whether the tribe was was imposing its own tax. No, I mean, it was an entirely separate separate rationale. It was saying uh, uh, the the, 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 the tribe is is getting this tremendous advantage uh, by — or wants this tremendous advantage by by marketing uh, the, the exemption. But the, fl- uh, the flip side of that in Colville was that if the, uh, if the tribe in that case had been selling to people who would have been on the reservation anyway, in other words, had not come onto the reservation to take, just to take advantage of an exemption from state taxation, but would have been on the reservation anyway, the Court specifically contemplated in that situation that, uh, that the tax uh, might well be preempted because it would be Well, maybe, maybe it contemplated that, and maybe it simply contemplated that that particular, uh, that particular uh, uh, argument against it, i.e., that it was simply uh, selling a tax exemption, would not have been an argument against it. But it doesn't follow from that that the tribe would necessarily uh, have, have had a winning argument on a preemption theory. No, but, but, we, uh, but we believe it is a winning argument. I think the fair reading of Colville is that the Court would have seen that as quite different. If that's a winning, of course it is different in the sense you say. But if, in fact, it's an interference, look, every upstream tax raises the price of goods and services. Every upstream tax, indeed every tax in the world, makes it harder to sell the product. So every tax makes it harder for the tribe to tax that item which was taxed by somebody else. Now, if that's the basis for saying it's an interference, 
then every tax is an interference. And I don't see how that could be. Right. This, this, is, this is not just any upstream tax, and, it is, and the theory here is not based on, on economic But the, so far, your theory is based on economics, as I've heard it. No. But if it isn't, uh, I would like to know what it is. Yes. Uh, under the — first of all, in, in our, it is our position that under the Kansas Supreme Court's decision in Call, which should get deference in terms of understanding the operative incidence of the state tax, the incidence of the tax is, in fact, on the retailer. And the Court there found it critical. The incidence of the tax. The legal incidence of, oh. was, was on, is on the retailer. It's very surprising when I read the statute, it doesn't have one word about the retailer being obliged in, to pay anything. As, as we read the uh, Kansas Supreme Court's decision, it's not without ambiguity, but we believe the better reading of that, of that decision is that as a matter of legislative intent, the incidence of the tax, who is ultimately going to pay the tax, right, is if, on if the that's the legal incidence of the tax, I would think their side would win, in my mind. Now suppose, actually, the legal incidence of the tax is not on that retailer, but rather is on the uh, distributor. That would tell — that would tell you — I'm sorry. If that's so, and if we get into balancing, which I don't know, what is to be said in favor of the Indian side? It sounded to me as if uh, it's harder for them to tax. So I'm thinking, well, that's true of every tax. And then put it on something else. Put it on the tires. Put it on anything else if you can't. It'll be harder for them to tax non-Indians. But I didn't know they had a federal right to tax the non-Indians. Yes, the, uh, they, they do. And again, this is the situation contemplated in Colville. It's analogous to what this Court said in Cabazon with respect to the gambling facility, where the tribe has introduced on-reservation value. And in, in Colville, the Court contemplated if the tribe puts a service station and sells to people who would be there anyway, that is on-reservation value. They are not simply marketing a tax exemption and drawing people on by virtue of the tax exemption. But, but beyond that, just because it, if the Court concludes that the incidence of the tax is on the distributor, notwithstanding the Kansas Supreme Court's decision, the subject matter of the tax the, the what is being taxed is the sale or distribution, and that is a sale between the distributor and the retailer. That is clear from well, why the, isn't it the sale between whoever is selling it to the distributor and the distributor? Because if, if you look, in, it becomes particularly clear if you look at the form that is at the back of the respondent's brief. But we also believe it's clear from the from the uh, provisions of the statute that are on page 8A of the brief. One that hasn't been dis uh, discussed, for example, is Exemption D-5. Uh, ex excuse me. Um, uh, the, the, ex the exception for uh, uh, deliveries to other distributors. Um, uh, in, in, that in that situation, there is no tax. And, in fact, the form on page 19A uh, uh, makes it clear that, it, that any sales by one distributor to another are automatic, automatically exempted and not counted uh, in the computation at all. So distributor-to-distributor distributor taxes are uh, exempted. And in this Court in the Chickasaw case said that's very instructive that the incidence of the taxes on the retailer, whether or not the incidence is there, the transaction that is being to me, exempting distributor-to-distributor distributor taxes just means that only one distributor has to pay. Only one distributor has to pay, but it means that a sale between the first distributor and the second distributor, for example, is not taxed. Well, that's no, but that's because there was a tax on the first sale to the first distributor. And, and may I ask this? Actually, there's not. The tax is on the last distributor with respect to his sale to the, to the retailer. Yeah, but that, that's because when a distributor sells to another distributor, he is not acting for purposes of that sale as a distributor. And I think that if you makes, sell to another distributor, you're, you're that, not that, that makes that makes my point that that the, that the statute in applying to any use, delivery, or sale, the sale in, at issue is the sale that ultimately comes from a distributor to a retailer. And under this court's decisions in Central Arizona Machinery and the Bracker case, a sale by a, by someone residing off the reservation, but where the sale takes place on the reservation, as this one clearly does, the the gasoline is delivered there. That is absolutely preempted under Central Arizona machinery and the Indian trader statutes because you but have none of this. Work. None of this mattered to the Tenth Circuit, though, did it? I mean, they didn't care where the incidence was. They just went right into the balancing, right? Right. That's true. And if, and if you think that was wrong, 
Uh, we think the Court was wrong to conclude that the incidence was on the, was on the uh, distributor. And if the Court has a question about that, it could remand to certify that question to the Kansas Supreme Court uh, to clear it up, any ambiguity after call. But even on the Tenth Circuit's own way of, of approaching it, we believe that it was then correct, because it, it properly applied this Court's uh, approach of, of looking at the particular context of the federal, state, and tribal interests. And here there are very powerful tribal interests in what maintaining. What is the one other, the interest other than the interest on being able to tax an item that an upstream tax prevents you from doing because of the economics? It is, is the, very, the, same, it is the very same interest that the state is, is asserting, which is the interest to impose a fuel tax in order to or, maintain you know, the not, roads on I, the reservation. I, I want to hear you and know if there's an additional one. I'm not disputing that one. I just want to be sure I get them all. Yes, one is, one is, is that is, one. Is, is the, the, general, the general ability to impose a tax, but here the, the interest is augmented by the fact that the tax is dedicated by tribal law to maintaining tribal roads, not just this one and a half mile. I just mile, don't understand. Why doesn't the, the tribe have an incidence in not having any tax at all? It, helping, uh, helping its members. It, why, it, why does the balancing only work if it taxes? It, we don't think it does. Under the Colville's decision, if the state is not just — or the tribe is not just marketing an exemption from state taxation, we think that the tribe that, — that the state tax is preempted there as well. But here where the tribe is asserting not simply a commercial interest selling at market value and not marketing a, a tax exemption of the state, you, you it's imposing it could market the exemption? Pardon me? You say that a tribe can market its exemption? No, we do not. Under this — under this Court's decision in Colville, it can't — the — Tribe cannot mark an exemption, at least to people who would not otherwise be on the reservation. But here the tribe is asserting both a commercial interest, selling at profit, and also a sovereign interest in taxing. And where you have a tribe well, asserting both a sovereign interest in not taxing, it, it, it could. But here the tribe has asserted a sovereign interest in its tax, and that is what is being substantially interfered with. Thank you, Mr. Needler. Mr. Olson, you have four and a half minutes left. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. What about the Supreme Court's characterization of this as being the a, Cowell, yes. Cowell case? I read — I don't think the Kansas Supreme Court could have been any more clear. It said the legislature amended the legislation to clarify where the incidence of taxation falls. It provided that the incidence of the tax falls on the distributor. Then, in dicta, in connection with the standing issue, because economic burden — fell on the retailers, it found that the uh, retailers and those other retailers had standing. Kansas could not have been more clear. In Section 3401, F3, it defines a distributor as someone who receives the product. In 3408C, it taxes the distributor on the first receipt of the tax. In 3410, it again says it's on the distributor. Two district courts and two courts of appeals found that the legal incidence of the tax was on the distributor. The Kansas Supreme Court said the same thing. The distributor is liable for the tax, pays the tax. The retailer has no liability for the tax. What in the world can Kansas do to make it clearer? Um, now, the central machinery case that's, that um, my opponents have been speaking about is a case that was decided under the Indian trader statutes with respect to the trading with the Indians. With respect, the central machinery case was with tractors sold on the reservation for use on the reservation. It fell within the scope of the Indian trader statute. But this Court has made clear in a number of cases the Indian trader statutes would not remotely apply. I take it Kansas has not indicted the distributor for failing to register under the Indian trading statute. No. I, there had, hasn't really been mentioned until the — I mean, hardly mentioned at all until the government decided to — the United States government decided to um, um, uh, discuss that point. Aren't there the, usually two, two incidents? You talk about the incident of the taxes on a person — but it's also on an event. And what event is in your, in your judgment? Well, the statute could not be more clear, Justice Scalia. It is the receipt by the distributor of the fuel. That is what the statute says. It is if as plain as it could be. If the fuel were destroyed by flood or lightning or something like before it was resold to the retailer, there'd be no tax. There's an exemption for losses, um, like uh, one of the Court's questions with respect to a casualty loss or something like that, but it's limited. 
um, the liability nonetheless exists on the distributor. Are there any incidents in which the distributor would pay the tax if he was not able to resell it to somebody else? I think that I think the reading of the statute is plain. If the distributor took the fuel, kept it, decided to warehouse it because the costs are going up or something like that, it would still have to pay the tax because the tax is on the receipt by the distributor. In answer to your question, Justice Stevens, would those other exemptions, the United States government be required by the Constitution or the other states? No. Not under this Court's decision in the Blaze case, which, as I understood it, was unanimous, the Fresno case, U.S. versus New Mexico. It's not a tax on the United States it's, or an agency of the United States, so that they wouldn't be required. But they make sense because the sales to other states are for people that drive on other states' highways. The sales to the United States government is in exchange for almost the same amount of money that comes back. So there's a rational purpose. It's not discrimination. The, the tribe makes the point that it's generating real value um, and reservation value. This is fuel that's used in cars that are driven all over the state of Kansas. The casino is there, so the people come to the casino, and under Cabazon, there might be some value added by the casino, which, by the way, is an exemption, value created by an exemption from regulation. But the value for someone who puts fuel in their car is so that that car will then drive, and that, that cars that drive in this case drive on Kansas highways. Um, this ultimately thank is — Thank you, Mr. Olson. Thank you. Case is submitted.